It's great to have you back here at Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. That's Chase. I'm Josh. We are here to give you episode four of season two of The Witcher. Today, last week, did a bang-up job uh, covering episode three. We'll give you a quick recap of that before we jump into the contents of episode four here. Um, that the Witcher is coming along. We're hitting the halfway point. You know, there's eight episodes in season two. We're right here today, halfway through at episode four, and it's been a great ride so far. The will be kind of detailed throughout each episode. They seem to be getting better and better, keeping the intention to detail close to the vest, making sure that uh, you know they they've got a lot of Easter eggs in there. So you know we're here to help detail it out and what to pay attention to and all those great things. And before we jump into Episode four. I'll give Chase a chance to uh, to speak here, and then I'll give a recap of episode three, and then, like I said, we'll dive into the contents of episode four. Chase is going to go ahead and go over one of the monsters that we see here in episode four at the end, and then we'll close out with our takeaways and our debates and all that great stuff that we normally do here. And looking forward to uh, getting it going. So, what do you say, man? Should we do a cheers before uh, before anything? Yeah, let's get a malice in the chalice, man. We didn't start out with that last episode. That's just fine. We'll do it now. <laughs> Give a little foreshadowing, won't reveal anything. All I'll say is, when a humble bard meets Geralt of Rivia. <laughs> a little foreshadowing for today, baby. That's all I'll say on that. Anything else? You want to go ahead and do that recap, man? Dive on into it. Sure. Yeah, I'll go ahead. And then, so episode three, guys, are some of the major points that we hit. Uh, Cirilla is starting to uh, make some waves and leaps and bounds in her training. She's getting better by the day, working hard. Um, on top of that, you got that little uh, revelation that Yennefer is alive. The Brotherhood of the Council didn't know that. She comes back. It's a whole ordeal, though, because they don't know if she's a traitor or a spy for Nilfgaard. And so they try to make her prove her uh, loyalty by beheading Kahir, who is one of the commanders of the Nilfgaard army. You know, she decides that's not what she's going to do. So she actually, instead of with the axe, takes his head off. She instead breaks the chains and they run out of there on horseback and flee. And they are on their way to Sintra. Uh, on the other side with Geralt, they uh, end up fighting one of the crazy monsters that I talked about last week just a little bit, the Myriapod. Uh, they first came across that Leshy. That Myriapod ripped the Leshy apart in like one attack, and then it was uh, off to the races with that thing, trying to corner Cirilla. Geralt did his thing, saved her life there, and uh, we're gonna learn a little bit about where these monsters are coming from here today. And with that, I'll kind of phase out here of episode three, turn it over to Chase to take us into episode four. Let's jump into it, man. So episode four opens with a bang, I would say. Remember, we were leaving off with. You know, Geralt and Ciri are kind of on their own adventure, right? So we see this beautiful view of the mountains and Geralt's climbing and Ciri's following. And you can tell she's kind of struggling a little bit. But uh, all you hear is you hear Geralt's voice almost like he's training her. And he says, the trail will test you, forces you to move beyond the pain, the fear, the failure. Until you become one with the killer itself, remember hesitation will draw a danger to you like fire but you trust the path you choose and it will protect you even in darkness as long as you listen always listen and siri and Geralt are sprinting into the woods and siri hears like this roaring wind almost like something's in the woods like something's calling her 
and Geralt draws a knife and, and Siri stumbles for a minute and all of a sudden you just hear uh, Siri says don't be scared I'm not going to hurt you and you see there's a woman in a hood and she removes her hood and Triss is there what a full circle moment that is we weren't sure where she's been even though we just saw her a couple episodes ago and she's been heading out that way we saw her last episode she wouldn't get in the. So we saw her last episode. She wouldn't get in the swimming out. pool. She decided she was uh, not ready to get in the pool with all the rest of the mages when they greeted Yennefer. But also really important to notate is she did cut her cheek open and blood hit the ground, and I think that was pretty important. Talking about Cirilla when she go. fell down. That so. is a big, uh, big moment. It comes into play later on. <laughs> so well, well played there. Um, so Triss is there, and uh, Triss uh, says, "You're a girl. I'm going to cure Morin." Is that where you're headed? And this is where they go back and forth. And basically, she, Siri is just kind of really surprised she's there and says, you're a sorceress like Yennefer. And Geralt comes down and just says, he notices Triss and says, Triss. And Siri is so surprised. And he, she goes, and a friend of Geralt's, you must be quite charitable. <laughs> Which... And then Geralt goes, it's good to see you again. And so does Triss. It says, and you. And they go back and head over. Uh, they're going to go make their way to Kira Morin back to where they started with the other witchers. And at this point, then we're in the city of Redania, uh, which is where. Is it, so like, Just to make sure I'm clear on this. Yeah, go yeah, for it. like it's interesting, right? Because I think Redania is the kingdom, but they were in the city of Gors Valen, is where. That's what I was gonna yeah. say. Yeah, Gors Valen. So, but Redania is like the the kingdom. Area, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, uh, and just to make sure I'm clear on this, this is where Yennefer and Kair are also at the moment. Are they like in the same area or? I'm assuming. Yeah, they are. They're they're in the same location as what's happening going on with all the elves right now that I'm sure you're about to talk about. Um, they're in right. Gordesvillen as well. Perfect. So just like uh, Jay Nelly just said, so the elves here, just like we were talking about last week with the social justice, like they really look down on the class and you see the elves are being tortured and, and spit on and abused. And one elf, this was a really powerful moment he had to use the bathroom. He had to urinate. And he was like, you can even restrain me if you need to, but I need to go to the bathroom. And they tell him, you know, just relieve yourself. Like, come on, relieve yourself in front of us. And they make him urinate on himself in front of them. And it just shows how bad these conditions are. So then we go to Yennefer and Kier at this point. And the elves are starting to reclaim Zentra under Frangilla's leadership, Frangilla's leadership. And Yennefer and Kier all of a sudden as they're not all of a sudden take a shot we're not doing that this episode <laughs> but yennefer and kair are in the city of uh can you pronounce the city one more time yeah gores valen gores valen and this is where you see ravens it was like three-eyed raven <laughs> game of thrones but all the ravens are over them and they burst into these wanted posters and i actually paused it here for a moment to look at the posters and it says wanted Cretaceous Elven Mage reward, and it has a drawing of Yennefer on it for well, forty thousand orins. It's yep. treasonous Elven Mage, treasonous, treasonous yeah. Elven Mage. Maybe my eyes were blind there. Probably wasn't wearing my glasses yeah. or something. Anyways, uh, uh, but then on the other side, you had uh, art drawing of what was supposed to be a Kair, 
and it said wanted Nilfgaard uh, war criminal, 40,000 Orans. So you now know these two are in deep trouble. And then we kind of go to the moment where the, I called him the king of Redania. Is he, he's the king of the whole kingdom, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, his name or, is uh, Vizimir. That's his name. Vizimir. Okay. Vizimir. And he's having a meeting with these, like, servants or leaders, whatever they are. And then at this moment, you have this, basically a knife is conjured through one of the servants' throats. And she just dies in front of him. You're trying to figure out what's going on. And you notice it's this guy, Dijkstra. Did I pronounce that right? D-I-J-K-S-T-R-A. I'm doing better in names now, luckily. I'm getting luckier with that. <laughs> Dijkstra enters and he he's the one that conjured the knife through the servant's throat that attempted to give him a goblet of wine and you see this owl is watching uh the king and dijkstra at the same time and dijkstra then looks at the other servant hands him the goblet back and forces him to drink the goblet that he was going to serve the king and what happens is mouth foams up and it was poison and he collapses on the ground and uh, this is when you realize no one can really be trusted that was in that room. And Dijkstra goes, apologize for the theatrics, your highness, but I just wanted to be sure. And the king says, fuckers, I've known him since I was 12. <laughs> so now you realize these people are really at their wits end at this moment. And this is a really important conversation think, between I, these two. I also think it's important to note, say, Dijkstra is... Vizimir's mage. So we guys remember all mm -hmm. all kings have their like advisor mage, and Dijkstra is Vizimir's uh, mage there. So just wanted to make sure that that everyone understands that. Hundred percent. So Dijkstra says, even traitors speak the truth. The northern kingdoms have formed an alliance based on their mutual hatred of elves. But if you will excuse me for saying so, your highness, we shouldn't give a shit. So now you realize um, that you know they really think their own is a really strong force here uh, and Dijkstra argues that they're that um, they as far as like they could be you know they could be smarted with these alliances but he he starts almost interacting with the owl which makes me want it makes me really suspicious of that in a way but he like nods to the owl and then uh, argues that uh, Sintra could be could be used to their advantage and then exits. But then we cut back to Siri, uh, Trissa, and the just, rest of the witchers. Not even just used right. to their advantage, though. So, like, basically, mm -hmm. what he's saying is that they could take Sintra. Like, they could, like, because mm -hmm. apparently Sintra is the continent's crown jewel. That's actually news to us. We don't know. Like, we thought Sintra was just a kingdom that like Nilfgaard infiltrated and took over just like any other kingdom but apparently Sintra is a continent's crown jewel and basically what Dijkstra's trying to do is saying hey maybe we kind of stay out of all the war and battle and like we attack when the time's right and take Sintra for ourselves and that's a big that's a big thing like they're strategizing here but I also agree with you like there's something weird about this elf thing like he has this ability to either communicate with it or maybe <laughs> the owl is more than it seems like I don't know but uh, yeah I'll go ahead and, and turn it back over to you yeah, it makes me wonder. Um, but then we cut back over to Siri, Trissa, and the rest of the Witchers, and Vasimir tells Siri that he invited Trissa after Geralt 
Um, it's just Triss. Yeah, it's just Triss. Tri- just Triss. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. That he invited her after Geralt told him, and then a girl told him that she helped him. And Geralt said, I brought her here to help guide you. So now we know that Triss is going to start to, at least what it seems like, play a big role in helping Siri develop her magical ability. Um, and then we cut back to, I called it the Kingdom, Redania, wherever the fuck that city was. But anyways, we go back to the city, and so the guards are just beating the shit out of elves, and they attempt to stop Yennefer and Kahir. And he backs Kahir, sword drawn against the wall, and Yennefer knocks him out. I called it like a tombstone. It was like a big-ass piece of stone, like... Just knocks him the fuck out. And Gear said, I had that covered. And Yennefer, this was so funny, she goes, of course she did. <laughs> and then they attempt to uh, to flee through the sewers. So, it, very interesting. This was, it, they called it later, we find out, is almost like ruins. But it looked like sewers to me, is what it looked like. Yeah, it is a sewers, I think. Yeah. Um, but then they encounter, I couldn't tell what his name was i know what the boy he was with so they encountered this old man elf in dermain did you catch what the old man elf's name was nope same thing as you had only showed the the dermain's name on the captions okay i just wanted to make sure i didn't miss anything but so they're kind of worried at this point because they just encountered yennefer and kahir and he tells dermain run like hell who is a deaf a deaf elf basically and a uh, deaf boy elf and Jennifer tells him the the deaf elf Dermain you don't really want to hurt me Dermain Dermain is it and the old man translate for Dermain that the sandpiper helps elves get to Zentria we get to Oxenfurt and he puts us on a boat and it's just the two of us and Kahir responds if you know a way to Zentria can help us assure your pick of land on our safe return. So he's trying to bribe them so that they can get them out of the city. And Yennefer puts her hand on Dermain. And this is when I think they kind of connect in a little bit here. And she says, if there's no room, we'll catch the next boat, I promise. And the old man elf, he's just like, oh, for fuck's sake, come on. But Dermain signs to Yennefer, you're very pretty. (laughs) So Yennefer is using her... uh, uh, using her little suave here, kind of like when someone sees an Instagram model, <laughs> fall head over heels for him. <laughs> fall head over heels. <laughs> but so, of course, so um, at this point, Kahir uh, then just looks at Yennefer and says, it appears you have some use after all. So I thought it was a pretty funny moment. Now we're cutting back over to Triss, and she tells Geralt that Ciri could have an evolved version of powers from her mother. So now we know this is actually confirmed, that this definitely could have taken place. And Geralt tells Triss that Ciri doesn't have any typical magical signs. She might have the power of foresight and tends to have visions of events that can come to pass. Then Geralt goes on to elaborate that Triss and Ciri saw the aftermath of Sodom hill before it actually happened and Geralt tells Triss and Ciri that uh, he felt tells Triss that Ciri felt the pull towards the Leshy that wound up turning Eskel so he's 
explaining to Triss all the magical abilities and tendencies that Siri has been showing that are very abnormal. Um, but Geralt then explains that to Triss that the head of the Maria, I called it, what was it called? The Maria pod, the creature <coughs> yeah, you talked about the Maria pod. If you don't mind, Maria. I actually wrote down that whole like dialogue between the Go two. For it. And I'll just yeah, like, kind absolutely. of read it out like word Take for it. word. So Triss was tell, uh, asking Garrett, Geralt, uh, well, if her mother did have powers, as you say, if she was a mage who never properly harnessed, the child could have inherited an evolved version of it, but it's an untested theory. When did Siri start exhibiting signs of chaos? And Geralt says, that's the issue. She hasn't exhibited any typical indicators of chaos. She can't even form witcher signs. And Triss asks, what do you mean by typical? Geralt responds, she might have the power of foresight. She seems to have visions of things that have yet come to pass and Triss asks like what and Geralt responds well she saw me at the aftermath of Sodden Hill before it happened and there's more Siri felt something else a pull towards the leshy that turned Eskel like a compass to a magnet she led me straight to it and then this and he pulls back the cover to like reveal the myriapod tore it in half and charged us and Triss asks gods what is it and Geralt responds I've never seen anything like it but it did try to get her both of them did. And Triss asks to do what? Geralt responds, I didn't let it live long enough to find out. Could a mage have made this? And Triss says, well, theoret theoretically, but generating monsters has been outlawed for centuries. And Geralt kind of sarcastically says, oh, outlawed. So definitely not a mage then. And Triss kind of laughs and <laughs> says, well, there's one way to find out. And that's when she kind of grabs that vial and takes a piece of the monster's skin and puts it in and she says like some sort of incantation and tells Geralt that if it was a mage, that the component will glow and they'll know by the morning. And I'll turn it back over to you. Ironically, I have that incantation because Josh writes down uh, dialogue that actually matters. I just write down Elvish and Dothraki, pretty much anything that we can't learn here <laughs> in the English language. But you're exactly right. And uh, when she's doing that test and puts it in the in the elixir bottle... Uh, she says, Impengva Vilas, Imbenzur Shine Gave Me, which is uh, Elvish language for basically reveal yourself, is basically what that means. But I found that interesting because I had to look that up, not that it matters at all. But of course, you, what's funny is Jane Nelly writes down the entire Im entirety of the important dialogue, and I just took that one little <laughs> section there. <laughs> great stuff, man, great stuff. But Tris says, so, uh, of course, this is exactly uh, what you mentioned, but just to start at this moment here, she says, if there are any signs of mutagenic alchemy that a mage has been involved, that component will glow. We'll know by morning, but why would a mage want her? And Geralt mentions, I don't know mages. Nilfgaard, something dark lies ahead of her. I can feel it. That's why I'm training her. I won't be here forever to protect her, just like you mentioned in last week's episode. Uh, Triss says, I'm sorry about Eskel, and Geralt mentions, I'm sorry about Sodden. Triss responds and says, those that does, I say their names at night when I lay down so I don't forget. Atlan Kirk, Vanille, Bruge, Axel Rabbi, Dagobort, and Geralt just goes, stop. And you can kind of see, it's almost like Triss is trying, I don't, this is an interesting question, debate I have for you. At this moment where they're having this conversation, I'll get into it in just a minute. I think 
she in a way she was coming on to him but i think it was more of like she needed comfort at that moment versus just trying to come on to Geralt. what do you think yeah i think that's what happens in here like the, the very next thing that you're probably going to mention when she asks yeah. him but like like in terms of like what she's doing in this moment i think she's trying to and why she was naming all those names everyone that died at sodden hill i think she was trying to elicit an emotional response from Geralt to like show him like hey like you you do feel human emotion like like i know you do and that's why like he had to say he said stop you know because like it was it was getting to him so i think that's what she was doing that for in terms of naming the names is to elicit an emotional response but i 100 percent agree with you for what you're about to go into and what she's trying to say like i think it was like obviously there's some level form level of attraction but like i think more than anything she wanted comfort that you're like i said that you're about to say here in a second right so Tris says, if it's up to me, everyone will know their names. They can live on in our memories, perhaps something more. Oh, you witchers, you pretend not to have emotions, but you do. I know you feel it too. All of it. Normal love, normal hatred, normal pain, fear and regret, normal joy, normal sadness. Stay with me tonight. And Geralt just says, Tris. Tris says, let's not be alone. Geralt I'm sorry, and just walks away. And this is kind of that moment. And I feel like it's an important dialogue because also it goes back to what we were talking about last week. We were talking about emotional connection with witchers. Like clearly they have something. Um, like you can tell it was kind of getting to Geralt, but at the same time, much respect for him because he stood his ground. What do you What do you kind of think of that? Yeah, he did the right thing, right? You know, he didn't take advantage of the situation for his own gain. He knew that he couldn't be what she was looking for in that moment, and that maybe it would have tarnished any sort of relationship that they have, friendship or otherwise. Um, also, I do believe that he still has this weird, you know, thing for Yennefer as well. But remember, at this point in time, I don't believe Geralt knows Yennefer's alive. So, like, right. so I don't know, like, maybe he's still kind of going through loss. And, you know, that might be another reason why he made it, her stop saying the names because he thought she was going to get to Yennefer, like like her name mm-hmm. at the end of the people who died there. So, yeah, that's what I think. That's a really good point. I didn't even think of that. That's a really good point, though. So now, speaking of Yennefer, perfect twi- turning point. <laughs> Here we are back in the sewers, back in the sewers, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, man, just hanging out, <laughs> hanging out with the people down under. Anyways, and not Australia, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, so, back in the sewers with Old Man Elf and uh, Demir. Uh, Demir, is that his name? The Dermain. Dermain. I'm the worst. Dermain. Dermain, Demir, whatever his name was, not important. <laughs> Dermain. Anyways, uh, and Kahir is there. And so they're in the old elven aqueducts, is what the old man describes them as. And he said the humans built the city on the ruins. So these were there before. And Yennefer asked Dermain, who made him, uh, who, uh, who made him this way. And the old man elf translates as he's responding in sign language. And Dermain says some villagers came at us at a tavern a week back. We worked at a bank in Gord Valine. It's dwarf-owned, so the owner let us escape before the guards came in for a roundup. Ever since the elves took refuge in Zentria, the north have been claiming that we're all sleeper agents for Nilfgaard. 
and Jennifer just looks back and says, "Sounds familiar." One um, thing, one thing then, I want to mention too, because when we're talking about, like you said, mm-hmm. what what made him like that? Well, the quote unquote like that is the fact that his ears were cut off. Right. Like, so, like the there points of his ears that show that he's an elf, they were like snipped off as if someone took scissors to them, so you couldn't see that they were pointed. So she asked, like what happened to why your ears are like that and that's the story that chase just told you there so i just wanted to mention exactly what it is what she was asking about before he uh told them the story through the translator percent which is uh, that's a great question is that like because they snipped off the top he's deaf like i wonder if that would affect your entire hearing though i don't think so because like not to go on a weird uh place out of here but you guys remember that old boxing match with like mike tyson and evander holyfield he bit evander holyfield's ear off and he could still hear yeah. so i don't i don't think that is why he was deaf i think he's always been deaf um i just think that he they cut his ears to try to hide the fact that he was an elf like basically i think that's what that was for yeah i agreed 100 percent um so the old man elf says it responds to Jennifer's comment, and this shows how almost like they don't accept her still as being part elf. And he says, oh, I doubt that. All we can hope for now is to survive. And uh, Dermaine signs to the old elf that he heard that there's a pregnant elf in Zentria. And the old man says, it's a fairy tale. We don't have to fight left to start anew. The North would make sure of that. Fuck the North. And Dermaine says, no, I'm starting anew. I got a little patch of land, raise some chickens, find a buxom, a raven-haired woman to boss me around, and all of a sudden, take a shot, <laughs> bitches. Fuck yeah. <laughs> so this is the creature we're talking about today. You thought you were getting no monsters, but we lied. <laughs> Somebody lied. <laughs> Anyways, this octopus sea creature thing comes out of nowhere up from the bottom of the sewers grabs Dermaine and drags him under Jennifer and gear are screaming and everyone's screaming save us and the old man elf like a this comes into play later for full circle but just runs away thanks man really cool pulls a theon Greyjoy. now that we're speaking of seas and we always talk about game of thrones anyways so figured i'd mention it this old man is the reek of elves. <laughs> he is the reek of elves, sir. And he probably does reek for what's mentioned later. So, ex in facto, he is Theon. <laughs> Anyways, so he's gone. And then Yennefer tries to go after him, but then gets it pulls her under too. And then, uh, so it drags Yennefer under. And Kahir is, is she is like screaming at her as she comes up for air and says fight it off fight it off with your magic and Yennefer says i can't so we're still getting this hint you know she can't she has no magical ability still kier stabs it twice with the torch that he grabs off earlier from the walls and lights on fire and then it goes back underwater that Yennefer says you're born helpless, so you find strength. And that's all they want you to use you for, to use you. And you find love, but it isn't real. It's a wish made once before they even know who you were. And you find power, and it turns to ash in your hands. And Kiyir looks at her and says, Hey, you were incredible the day in Sodden. The fire? Oh, that's what did you in, isn't it? It stole your power. 
We all have our time in the sun. Your magic had served its purpose. Perhaps there's a bigger plan out there for you now. Yennefer says, yes, yes. The benevolent white flame who brings purpose and meaning and all the fuckery. Skip the recruitment speech. Fringilla already gave it. Gear says, Fringilla is devoted to the call. Yennefer says, the most important thing they teach you at Artuza isn't magic. It's to make people in power believe anything you want them to. Do anything you want them to. Fringilla is a political animal trained by the best. Gear says, yes, I met your best. She tried to puncture my brain, extract every one of my thoughts. Exactly, says Yennefer. Gear, yes, it didn't work, but what if it had? What if it had worked? What would she have found? Fringilla and I serve Amir because he served us first. Everyone answered to someone eventually. Even you and I suspect. Yennefer and Kair see the old elf that left left them there to die. And then they follow the elves uh, toward the boat. And Yennefer says, you left your friend to die. Fucking sewer you ran. And the old elf goes, I took the only option I had. He would have done the same. I mean, I had to save myself. And Yennefer just looks at him and says, you're not worth it. And so then at this point, well, isn't, uh, isn't is, that really sad sorry. too? Just, and this is just me cutting in, but like this, no, that, this it. poor deaf elf, uh, Dermain, like just laid out his whole future, everything that he was going to do when he got to Sintra and how he was going to start over in a fresh life. And he had so much hope and joy in him. And it just got snatched away by the sewer monster. And this old guy that was with him didn't even try to help. He just let him go and saved himself. So like, it's just a really sad end to like a, like a sweet character, you know. He was a deaf guy. He was very trusting, and, and you know that it, it, he just didn't make it. He didn't make it. But uh, I'll, I'll just turn it over to you. I just thought it was really sad that he laid out his whole future plans, and he'll never see them realized. So. Well, what a coward, too, man. Like, imagine like if the um, best way I can even like mention this is if say you know how they have these alligator attacks in Florida and stuff. That's like one of your family members gets dragged under and you just like run away to save yourself. That's so messed up. Like how shitty is that? Dude's the scum of the earth. Like, sorry. Sorry, not sorry. You're a piece of shit. (laughs) You should have died ages ago. I don't even know why you're in this episode. (laughs) That's my thoughts to that. Anyways, uh, so we're actually getting to a really important part here, which is really cool. So... They go to like almost this inn or something. It, isn't it like an inn or a restaurant or whatever it is? Explain where this is so that they're like waiting. They're right now like underneath like the cellar of it, you know, because like they say like the sand, mm-hmm. the sand, by guy's name is a sandpiper and he performs every night. And so yep. the, the elves that were in hiding, they're like underneath where it is like an inn or like a, a bar, but you would kind of consider uh, in today's day and age so yeah they're they're at this inn and i'll let you kind of do this big reveal here and all that great stuff so all i'll say is and when a humble bard meets yennefer of where the fuck she's from (laughs) yennefer i think they even say it in this episode where the fuck she's from i can't remember she's from vangerberg where she's from elf world what'd you say (laughs) sorry repeat that please vangerberg Vangerberg. 
meets Yennefer from the North Pole, helping Santa Claus give presents to the children. Anyway, so fuck yeah. We meet the Bard is back, baby. The Bard is back in town. The Bard is back in town. Bard is back in town. I am stoked, man. One of my favorite characters in this entire series. And I love this new little entrance he makes right so Yennefer goes the sandpiper the man on the ship goes that's the one he performs here every night and in the background you hear this song it says as I burn all the memories of you and then the bard is performing this new song is badass I'm not gonna sing it but I'll read it for you the song lyrics shown and it's cool because I'll only read part of this and then at the end of the episode it plays for a full circle moment because you hear the other half as then the episode ends. So the beginning part, he says, What for do you yearn? It's the point of no return. After everything we did, we saw you turned your back on me. For do you yearn? Watch the butcher burn. At the end of my days when I'm through. No word that I've written will ring quite as true as burn, burn, butcher, burn, burn, butcher, burn, 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 burn. Watch me burn all the memories of you. Fuck yeah, and the crowd goes wild. He's the next fucking Metallica. It's the greatest shit I've ever heard. It was fucking fantastic. He, he's the next Foo Fighters of um, of Rivendell or wherever the fuck they're at. Rivendell's in Frozen, Arendelle. <laughs> no, Rivendell's is the fucking Lord of the Rings. Where the fuck they at? The place with the R. Fleece. <laughs> Redania. Redania, Rydania, Romania, where the fuck he's at? He is the fucking man. He has got it going on. He is basically like the Jenny of Old Stones of The Witcher. I love this part. <laughs> Absolutely loved it. Anyways, let's moving right along. So at this point, we have that big reveal. But then we cut back to Dijkstra. And he is drinking in front of this owl, and this is where and you definitely get a sense of its strength. Also, right? like let's let's give them the bard's name. So if you guys don't remember who the bard's <laughs> name is from season one, his name's Jaskier. So Jaskier. <laughs> that's uh, just want to add that in there. But let's go back to Dijkstra. I always just called him Bard. <laughs> yeah, it's like us here, ridiculous, ridiculous crew, man, <laughs> ridiculous crew. When a humble bard. Love that part. That's pretty much the only part I know. He's <laughs> back to Deidre. <laughs> so he's like drinking in front of this owl. And he's debating using someone to get an elf into Sintra. And he says, someone valuable, distrustful, in the all right ways. And then it, it's very interesting because something's definitely going on with this owl. And he was like drinking. Like he was almost to the point of like, you know, I felt kind of sorry for him. I, it was strange, right? It was very uncomfortable, almost. And it was like he he was like mentally communicating with the owl. Like they they had some sort of way of communicating with each other because he would say something and then he would like answer the owl. It didn't say anything back to him. Like ah, you're right, but how? Like, like you know, it was very really interesting. So like, I uh, I don't know. Like he, he was drinking alone for sure. Uh, <laughs> 
I think maybe one, it's just, like, the stress. most depressing thing. That's what alcoholics do. Like, <laughs> you just sit around and Listen, drink alone. Uh, if I'm the mage of a kingdom and I got, like, the uh, response, all the responsibility and everything kind of falls on my shoulders, I'd probably be drinking too, man. So you're trying to figure yeah. out what to do about the situation. And you're right. Like, just like you said, he basically comes up with a plan to uh, use an elf that they can trust to infiltrate uh, Sintra. So it's going to be really interesting. And like who they pick is very interesting, too. And I'll let you go into that. Absolutely. So a voice speaks out. And this is kind of a big reveal here into this cellar. And you see someone move for just a minute. And it says, you come with me. And Dermaine lifts his head up in the cell. Not, was it Dermaine? Who not, the fuck was no, it? No, it's not Dermaine. Dermaine's dead. He's gone. Uh, it's actually... Okay, sorry. Sorry. Dermaine's dead. I had my hopes up. Right. Who was it? it was, I saw it move a little bit. Who so uh, it's interesting because he ends up being at the end of the episode two and he talks. That's how you know it's not Dermaine because Dermaine couldn't talk. Uh, <laughs> but uh, if, you guys, if you guys remember who this was, this is a big full circle from season one. You remember when Cirilla was on the run and went into that forest with all like the Amazon looking people in there? And she was oh, with, she right. was with yeah. her friend that was the elf. His name was Dara. And Dara now... Dara! Yeah. Sorry, I wrote down Dermaine. I yeah. knew it was a D. So Dara <laughs> the Elf is now thing. back in play here. And now he's going to be working for... Looks like uh, looks like he's going to be infiltrating Nilfgaard. So, and keep in mind, like he was displaced because of everything that kind of happened in the first place. Now he's been imprisoned here in the north. Now he's going to go down to uh, Sintra and, and kind of be a sleeper agent for the north now. So... Big full circle moment here. It's pretty crazy. Fantastic, man. Um, so then we cut over to Triss, and she tells Siri at breakfast that she will help her practice incantations in the lab. Basically to kind of, you know, remember she was so excited to really get started with Triss and have her powers developed. Uh, and Lambert and Cohen, the assholes that they are, <laughs> always want to start problems. And they start making fun of a flower that was on Siri's hair. Showing that they don't take her seriously still is what this gave the perception to me. And Siri just gets pissed, storms off right past Geralt. Geralt's even like, what happened? And Triss calls her ass out. Good for Triss. She was sick of their bullshit. Like someone acting up in class. And she goes, you should be ashamed of yourself. You dress her in rags, keep her bruised as an apple. That is when she isn't washing piss pots off your trousers. Does she even have a... A, chim- a chimis or a soap or cloth for when she gets her blood though those mushrooms you're feeding her you'll ruthlessly deprive her of that before too long you say you're mutants that's why you don't understand what people feel but the truth is you're choosing to be ignorant arseholes aren't you and i love it she calls their ass out they've been getting away with this shit for too long they've been getting given serious some shit for a few episodes here uh, Triss tells Siri it will take a long time for her to control her powers, just like it did for her. And then Geralt walks in and hands her an apple and just goes, they felt bad you didn't finish your breakfast. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Uh, Siri then mentions uh, to Geralt, says, you know my grand- grandmother fought battles and wore dresses. You can do both. And Geralt just mentions, I know. Tress pulls out the, I called it the DNA. It was like a piece of the head from the Mary Poden, and there was no glow. The Myriapod? 
yeah. Mary, so, Mary Bond, Mary Bowden, Mary Clay. Right. Like it, it was like a component <laughs> that they took from it and put it in a vial. So yeah, she took it out of the vial, and I'll let you go ahead and put yeah. it in there from the oh, Mary no, Pod. I'll tell you what, you want to you want to take us part? You're you're really good on the Mary Mary Pod. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, they were waiting for that that to stop spinning to get an idea if it was by chance like a mage that had created this monster. So the vial's finally ready. They they pour it out onto like the tray. And there is no glow, so there was no evidence of mutagenetic alchemy, meaning a mage was not responsible. But Triss does say there's something strange. There is a stellocyte similar to that of a monolith, which Triss says she's never seen before. And remember, last episode I was talking about some guy that studies monoliths, and I didn't want to you know, give it too far away there, but anyways, this is starting to come full circle here. So Geralt actually grabs a body part from the Leshy that turned Eskul from a preservative jar and cuts into it revealing more stellocyte which kind of begs the question how did two different monsters wind up with the same dust on them and so Geralt basically tells Triss that they came from the same place and Triss asks like a monolith it doesn't make sense and then you kind of see Ciri's face and she looks a little suspicious and so Geralt turns to her and says tell us what you know about it and so this is the story here, what ends up happening. I'm talking about the, the monolith and all like the importance here. So Cirilla says, When Nilfgaard attacked Sintra, just outside the city walls, I saw a monolith topple. And Geralt asks, how? And Cirilla starts to like wobble on her feet. And then she kind of goes into a vision while a creepy facsimile of herself is saying, The daughter of chaos belongs to us. Turn your backs. Join the procession. There is only death here while she's standing in front of a large monolith. And it makes sense on why these monsters are drawn to Cirilla specifically now. And so basically, Geralt asks Cirilla to let them help her. So Cirilla does go into the story of when the Black Knight captured her, how she was scared and she screamed, and that's how the monolith cracked and fell. And she was the one that toppled it. And so that's when Triss says, how could that be? And Geralt says, I don't know, I need to see it for myself. And Cyril is kind of nervous and scared and says, I really didn't mean to do it, Geralt. And if these monsters are my fault, and just Geralt says, it's all right. I'll fix it. And then the scene cuts over back to Chase's guy, Yaskier, and I'll turn it right back over to him. When a humble bar. If I have to hear you say that one more time, man, I'm going to lose my <laughs> well mind. Uh, anyways, back to the bard. I always forget his name. What's the bard's name? Jaskier. Jaskier. So we cut back to Jaskier here, and Yennefer sees him and says, Bard. And Jaskier goes, Which and what freshly hell did you just crawl out of? <laughs> and Yennefer says, A sewer. He goes, Oh, a sewer. I always knew you were a blood sucking, joyless. And then Yennefer hugs him, and he just goes, Hugger. We are hugging? Yennefer says, oh, gods, I miss the days when my biggest problem was an ever-present sing-songs twit. Jack Sear says, ah, drink. I'm going to drink. I'm not having this conversation unless I'm drinking. <laughs> Absolutely phenomenal. That was like one of our factor fantasy conversations. <laughs> like during the, oh, it was fantastic. Yennefer goes, I heard the song Geralt must have left quite a sour taste in your mouth. This is full circle from what I just said. So the song we will not mention because we've already said it too many times today. <laughs> but full circle there. And Jack Sears says, what, he? No one leaves any taste in my mouth. Thank you very much. I sing of universal matters, my dear, generous lady. 
emotions which anybody could experience, that song could be about anyone. 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 Fine, yes. When I wrote it, it did come from the heart. Perhaps a broken one. We're better off without him. And then they cheers. And he says, oh, that is awful. I'm going to find anything else to drink. Why don't you tell me why your sad arse is here? And Yennefer just says, because you're the sandpiper. Jack Sears says, what? No, yes, no, yes. How'd you know that name? Yennefer says, you pick up a thing or two when you're in hiding. Jack Sears says, you're in hiding because you're part elf. I completely forgot. I'm so sorry. I would not wish that fate on my worst enemy. And you are, yes, you are firmly lodged in that category. That has to be said. What they've done to you and your people is unspeakable though but some people are speaking there are anonymous benefactors working behind the scenes helping me helping us helping us make things right universe says why the hell what's in it for you now says i was a great oak blibberous when it was raided the seed of friendship the druids called it where every free thinker are welcome no matter their race their creed they come for the elves jennifer They'll come for the dwarves, and sooner or later, they will gone for everyone, anyone that they deem other, so eventually no artist is safe. Besides, at the end of the day, I've learned one thing. It is that sometimes legends can be intoxicating. Yennefer says, well, Sandpiper, the man, the myth, the legend, I need your help. Jack Sears stabs back. Stand back! Yennefer says, it's okay. He's with me. I need to go to Sentra. And then Kahir comes down. And Yaxir says, well, I do what I can, but I know this. You both smell truly awful. And I mean, like, something has crawled up your arses and died. So we leave Oxenford at nightfall. Plenty of time to take a bath before then. Just saying. <laughs> I just thought his dialogue was fantastic. It was very full circle. Also, it's an important moment, too, because you also find out not only are the social justice issues against elves like this group is trying to basically take out anyone they even mentioned the dwarves here no yeah not yeah i think he misunderstood it like that's what he thinks is going to happen he's saying they came for the elves so they'll come for the dwarves and they'll come for anyone they think like he's like thinking what's going to happen next so like right now it's just the elves but he's saying we were at the seat of friendship but they came for the elves, and soon they'll come for anyone that they don't think is like them, the quote-unquote others. So they have not That's come... That's a big question, though. Like, you don't think maybe that could be possible? No, because uh, remember just from the deaf guy, uh, the deaf dwarf Dermain, he was saying how the dwarves helped them escape. And if the dwarves helped them escape, like, you know, from working at the bank, why didn't the guards just take the dwarves then, like, themselves? You know yeah, I mean? that's a good so, point. Like, I just, yeah, I thought too much into it. But it was a funny-ass dialogue. It was. <laughs> it was, it was a good dialogue. I also appreciate it. I wrote it down, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> the sewer part was great. <laughs> you, you, something's crawled up your ass. <laughs> Anyways, okay. So back to back to where we are and the, the important stuff. So uh, Triss is back with Geralt and Cohen. Um, they're looking at the... Uh, Cohen has replaced his elixirs, and they're you know they're getting prepared for battle, uh, sharpening swords. Geralt tells Triss he can't be what she wants, and Triss says that the night before she was happy because she finally felt something in. I hope you're in search of someone. They feel your value. You're important to me, Triss. You always will be. Is what Geralt mentions. Triss offers to portal 
girl to a friend that studies monoliths. One thing, too, and, and I think this is a good point to back mm -hmm. up what you said earlier about how you think that she might have just been looking for comfort, not necessarily wanting like a relationship or anything like that just in that moment and this is just the exact mm -hmm. like dialogue between the two and this really supports your point is Geralt says I can't be what you want Triss what you deserve if things were different and Triss cuts him off except they're not and I'm grown enough to understand that last night you were what I was looking for your pain it excited me because I finally felt something again and Geralt says you mean after Sodden and Triss says most of us were cured after the battle you can hardly see the marks. And Geralt says, but some wounds cannot be healed. I understand that more than you know. I hope that in your search to feel again, you feel your value. And Triss says, to Siri? Geralt says, to me. You are important to me, Triss. You always will be. So there's like some sort of interesting like connection between them two. I'm not really sure if it's a romantic connection, if it's like a deep level friendship that sometimes blurs lines between romance and friendship. I don't really know. But I do believe, like you were saying, and I think that shows, shows, like, supports evidence that she was looking for comfort in the moment, not necessarily you know, trying to like, lock him down or anything like that. Um, but I just wanted to mention that before you know, talk about the portal thing that you were getting into. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, that's a really great point you mentioned. Um, but so, uh, Gerald, you know, he's like, portals are no fun, but long story short is Triss portals Geralt to... Geralt to what we find out is Istrid, which is uh, a wild moment that these two come in contact. Istrid, um, you know, puts up like a force field at first between him and Geralt because he's wondering what was going on, freaked out, and Geralt says, you must be the mage. And Istrid said, I know who I am. Who the fuck are you? <laughs> and then we cut back to Yennefer and Kahir. They sneak onto the ship and the bard, uh, Yaxir, he sings a song to distract the townsmen as one that just goes the golden one with the golden rules the long neck warriors with the warrior tools and the townsmen is it's really funny hold on they, they, like they're, this is one of the funniest things though like don't skip over this part like when, <laughs> like i want to i'll let you take it you take just, it just i want to tell you yeah like, this part is really funny i figured that you would have had it because like yaskier is your boy so i wanted to let you take it but like uh, I don't want to skip over this because it's really funny. Because when it cuts, when the scene does cut back to Yaskir, Yennefer, and Kair, they're attempting to get on board a ship to get them out of the city in this intro. And so Kair asks, you know, and if the ship is full, and Yaskir, like he's being a smart ass, he's like, well, then you're swimming. And then yeah. uh, <laughs> he's like, well, I'm gonna. Like, uh, Kair's like, what are you gonna do? And Yaskir's like, I'm gonna do what I do best. And Kair says, and what's that? And Yaskir says, oh, I never really know. That's why I'm so good at it. <laughs> because he basically makes it up as he goes along. See, he had no plan at all. So he just tries to walk right up on the, the ship without any sort of, like, you know, because to get on the ship, and I think that guy was more like a, like a either a fisherman or a guard of the ship that he was trying to walk past. Like, he gets, like, halfway up, and then the guard, like, shouts at him to come back down and show him the papers. And that's kind of when uh, the, he starts singing that song to get, like, the guy on his side. And all of a sudden, he's like, yeah, he starts singing along. He's like, oh, you're, you're my daughter's hero or my granddaughter's hero. Like, she loves you. Like, like you don't need to show your paper. So yeah, he gets out of that pickle uh, by singing all the songs. And so uh, he lets him, he realizes that he, it's his song and lets him pass on there. But then I'll let you kind of take over here where the guy kind of starts to insult the song and then kind of really pisses him off. So I'll give it back that's over to you. That's the part I wrote down. Sure. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's great. Excellent. Um, but, yeah, I called him the townsman, but we'll just call him, like, sailor, ship guard, whatever he is. But he said, if you don't mind me saying it, 
that one is not your strongest. It took me to the fourth verse to understand different timelines. I thought that was really funny too, because that takes us back to last season. <laughs> like that's a full circle moment, even for us. How awesome is that? And he goes, that magic kiss, that was a big reveal, a spotted dragon a mile away. The bit when the flute player ends up with the warrior ladies didn't really ring true for me, I must say. Then, yeah, Xero just turns around and goes, I'm going to say it. Yeah, I'm going to say it. <laughs> you know, if you could write yourself a little song, you could sing yourself whatever you please. But you can't, can you? Because you're a dark, a dark side scapegrace, a weakling, flucent, beef-witted hell. A crawling feculent, sir. A feculent. A crawling feculent. <laughs> Falling feculent, a beef-witted hell hates. Uh, what do you call him? Adropod? Applepod? Adel-padded goon. Adel-padded goon and a waste of your fathers. And maybe, just maybe, you are grateful to be entertained. And the talisman says, You are a hero to my niece. Practically worships you. She'll be heartbroken to hear her favorite bard is a steaming pile of shit for brains. The ship's not going anywhere until I check your papers, understand? And this is when Kair tells Yennefer he's going to make a distraction while she gets on the boat. And Yennefer is arguing, no, he's not going to do that. And she's not going to censure without him. As the townsman ship guy is attempting to check Yaxir's papers, this is when that old elf full circle moment kind of I don't want to say saves the day, but tries to make a distraction and goes, fuck the North, fuck the North, fuck the North. I don't think and it then, was the uh, old elf, though. I think it was the one that was forced to pee on himself in the beginning. I think it was that. Elf. Oh, okay. I was thinking yeah. the old elf came no, back from nowhere. Of course nowhere, not. That man. guy sucks. Uh, no, that, <laughs> God, yeah, I keep it, trying to give these guys savory moments where they save the day, and that's just the end for them, man. <laughs> Yeah, Very man. Sad. It was, I think it was the the uh, elf that was forced to pee on himself. But it was interesting, right? Because you thought Kyrie was going to do something, make a distraction, and it ends up being this guy sacrificing himself for for the greater good. It's pretty like heartwarming. I'll let you go go into it. But yeah, it was. It was I'm 98 percent sure it was the elf that was forced to pee on himself from the very beginning, which is also kind yeah. of a full circle moment here towards the end of the episode. So. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah, no, 100. Uh, percent But the townsman the ship guy just beats the shit out of the old elf is what i have and this is when yennefer and kair sneak on board did you have anything in more detail you want to talk about besides the guy got the ship beat out of him yeah by not just that one uh like guy there was like four guards that kicked the shit out of him and like i don't know for sure i just said that uh what i put on here is after he said fuck the north like like the guard hits the guard and the guard hits him back and then all the other guards run in and jump on him and hit him and kick the elf until it looks like he dies like like his face is all bloody and it looked like he rolled his eyes back but you know i never say anyone's dead until i see the body in shows like these you know so i don't know i said it looks like he dies but that's the only thing i had before it cuts back to vesemir is that where you're kind of at yeah, and I'm, this is a big part for you, speaking of what you were saying. So I'm going to let you take this part all the way back to where we cut back to Yaxir. So I'll let you take this part from here. Cool. So um, the scene does cut to Vesemir, and Vesemir looks at Eskel's remains. And to me, because remember when uh, Vesemir and Geralt left when the wolves arrived? It looks like the wolves like ate the remains of, of Eskel. Um, but anyways, Vesemir, to me... He looks geared up like he's ready to go like on a mission. He's got like his like armor on, his like sword all strapped up, and he starts walking along like a winter path and he s- sees these blue flowers 
sprouted beneath the frost and there's like some blood specks around it and there this is really important so Vesemir actually brings those flowers back to the keep finds Triss and tells her that Geralt sung her praises about how no one on the continent knows vegetation better than her and so Vesemir hands her the flowers and says tell me I'm not crazy tell me what I'm looking at here and Triss replies Fianowed and Vesemir says mm-hmm Triss says, this only grows where elder blood has been spilled. Where did you find this? Vesemir responds, killer trail, training course, everywhere that girl got her ass kicked. And Triss says, elder blood was wiped from the continent generations ago. And Vesemir says, there are legends that elder blood was one of the key ingredients in the creation of the first Witcher mutagens, mutagens that were destroyed in the sacking of Kaimoran. Not another Witcher has been created since. And Triss responds, Vesemir, these are new buds. Vesemir says, exactly. Destiny has given us a gift. The key to making more witchers. Siri. And this actually is a full circle uh, answer from me from two weeks ago when we kind of had a little bit of a debate on the witchers themselves. Because up until that point in time, I had not watched this episode. And so it was important to kind of go one at a time as we're doing these. But what this does, it answers the the old thing back in season one where Geralt, then this is exactly why I didn't post this to our social sites because I was able to go and, and watch this episode by the time and it gave me the answer. But in the beginning in the season one of The Witcher, it was said that witchers could no longer be created. We didn't know why. We didn't know the exact reason why that they couldn't bring any more into the world. But now this is a whole new ball game because now the, the elder blood is supposed to be like one of the key ingredients in the Witcher mutagen. So now that they have that again, it's possible to now create more witchers, which could beg the question that we initially started that debate on a couple weeks ago was like, could technically Siri become an, another witcher? You know, and I think we both agreed that we don't think that's where her story arc is going, but we can't just dismiss it now by saying, well, they can't make any witchers anymore. So no, it's not possible at all because now it's possible because they found this new the, the, the elder blood where the flowers are growing so now they get the key ingredient to the mutagen if they do want to make new witches again and so that's what I wanted to take there because what it did is it answered part of what we talked about a couple weeks ago and now you know we we see exactly how witchers can so any sort of plot hole that may have been it's not anymore about at least about this specific thing here and this is another reason why I like the show so much because at this point it's very very hard to find any plot holes uh, as of right now so very, very cool there. I just want to mention that, and uh, I'll go ahead and, and turn it back over to Chase. Fantastic. So now we're kind of getting towards the the end of this episode here, and so we're back over to Yennefer and Yaxir, and Yaxir asks Yennefer on the ship what has happened to her and mentions that she's lost her magic, and he says, what happened to you? And Yennefer says, chaos appears to be done with me. Yaxir says, you've lost your magic. That even possible? Yennefer says, go on. Get your gloating in. Time's limited. Yaxir says, you know, once upon a time, I would have used this opportunity to call you an empty, lonely, power-hungry sheen demon, but I'm an artist. Yennefer, it's my job to put myself in other people's shoes. Even if they are, in your case, large, clunky, and I don't know, probably full of snakes or something. I'm scared, too. I'm scared that one day the muses will stop speaking to me because who are we when we can both longer, no longer do the one thing that we put on this content 
tenant to do? Yennefer says, we find a new purpose to a better one, hopefully. Yaxir says, hmm. Chaos could never be done with the likes of you, Yennefer, of Vingerberg. Of that, much I am certain. So if all's the same to you, goodbye. Good luck. Good riddance. And he walks up the ship. And Yennefer says, hmm, same to you. And as he leaves, you hear a scream. And Yennefer and Kair run to the top and check the top of the deck. And Yaxir's guitar is smashed, and he is gone. And the end of his song plays, and it says, I hear you're alive. How disappointing. I've also survived, no thanks to you. Did I not bring you some glee, Mr. Oh, look at me? Now I'll burn all the memories of you. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been the most beautiful audience. Remember to toss a coin. If you can, if anyone needs me, I'll be at the bar. What for do you yearn? It's the point of no return. After everything we did, we saw you turned your back on me. For what do you yearn? Watch the butcher burn. At the end of my days, I'm through. No word that I've written will ring quite as true as burn. Burn, butcher, burn. Burn, butcher, burn. Burn, 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 burn. Watch me burn all the memories of you. So now we're wondering what's going on with Yaxir that was just brought back. I love it. It's like each episode just leaves you hanging. Like you can't wait until the next one. And a lot of fine detail that solved a lot of questions was brought up in this episode. So a little bit more of an intellectual episode. You didn't get as much of the action, but a lot of questions were answered. What were your takeaways from this episode, Jay Nelly? Before I do the takeaways, I just want to... Add- to detail like three or four things that I starred that I think mm-hmm. were important. Number one, uh, it wasn't a guitar; it's a lute. It's a different type of instrument. Oh, it, it looks, yeah, it looks a like ukulele thing. Yeah, it looks like a like a mini guitar in a way, but it's called a lute. And it wasn't Kyer and Yennefer that went up there. Kyer tried to tell Yennefer get back down, like you know, it's more important that we stay safe. And she was okay. the one that crawled up to the top and looked over and saw that there. So, at the very least, we know that Yaskir was attacked and kidnapped. Um, but I also thought this was important too because. When they, when we first cut back to that point where we kind of leave off with that Yaskir, Anifer, and Kai here when they first board the ship, Dara, like the one of the elves that Yaskir smuggled, uh, he like says like thank you and, and you know tells them you know, the Yaskir tells them well I expect great things out of you now that uh, you know you're gonna be having a new life in Sintra, but remember guys he's the elf spy that Dijkstra chose to infiltrate Sintra, so this is really important there. Also. I think this could come as an interesting way come to pass because who knows if Kahir still has the same level of authority that he did when he was captured, you know, you know that he had with Nilfgaard before, you know, the the Brotherhood of the Council took him in Eratusa, right? Because he promises Yaskir that the elves would be given all they need when they get to Sintra, but who knows if he's still looked at as the same kind of commander and has all that, you know, power. So I think that's something to, to definitely notate. Um... Also, I, I thought this was important when this is before he before Geralt got portaled to Istrid and had that weird like interaction with him. Uh, Vesemir walks up behind Geralt and said and he already knows that Geralt's going to Sintra. But remember what he said? He said, "You said you'd never go back there to Sintra. You said it twice." And Geralt says, "Well, no Witcher yet has died of old age, lying in bed dictating his will." Vesemir, I have a girl to protect. I just can't stay here. And that's pretty crazy, right? Because of all the witches there ever were, not one of them has died of old age laying in their bed. 
that was pretty cool to, to think. Like, you know, they pretty much all die in battle, you know? So I thought that was really interesting, something I wanted to detail there. Uh, just a couple other things I thought were important in passing. Uh, I, I had some right here, like uh, when Geralt tells Cirilla that he brought Triss here for her to guide her. And he even kind of correlates it because she asks, like, similar to Mausak and how Mausak helped guide her mother and grandmother in Sintra. And Geralt says, just like Mausak. So it's like, again, shows number one emotion on that end for the Witchers. And on top of that, it's a little bit of a full circle of having a mage help her the way that Mausak helped Calanthe and also, you know, Cirilla's mother too. Um, other one here, and this is just something what I wanted to correlate. It's when they were rounding up all those elves and being so brutal to them, throwing them in cages and having them on like these leashes and and on, on ropes and in bondages. It like it kind of reminded me like very similar to like the the Nazi Jew thing in the 1940s in Germany. Like that's like kind of you know they were rounding up all the Jews and taking them to internment camps. And it kind of really seemed similar to that to me with what these Northerners were doing to these elves. So it's very interesting on how this show can kind of, you know, go into world history like that actually happened too. It really kind of helps, you know, paint the picture a little bit. And those are just the things that I wanted to add, um, you know, that I thought were important to the episode. But outside of that, I'll, since I kind of just went into that little explanation and added things, I'll let you go ahead and give your takeaways of the episode first because then I'll do mine. Yeah, no, I, I just thought uh, it was another great episode. I mean, you had what I really like about this season. I mean, last season, I thought they did really well setting it up, but, you know, it was a lot of jumping around with different timelines. I really like the way they're doing this season, how everything's, it's one consistent journey, but they're doing really well with the viewpoints from each character. Um, so, for instance, you know, you have Geralt and Ciri, and it's starting to solve a lot of plot things and questions uh, that we have regarding witchers and her development. And she definitely has some sort of uh, paranormal ability, I would say. And now I love the fact that Triss is now involved over there. And it, it's really interesting bringing in you know, almost having her trained from the elf side of things. So she's not just getting uh, the witcher, you know, Geralt's uh, perspective of leadership and his skills and abilities. She's also developing that side. But well, then I really ma mages, that. not elves, like the, from the mages, not the elves. Mages, yeah, yeah. mages, yeah, mages, that's what I mean. Uh, like Yennefer, yeah, so mage. That's what threw me off because Yennefer claims she's an elf all the time, even though she's really not. <laughs> anyway, she's so, got quarter blood sir <laughs> quarter blood fuck off <laughs> you didn't see Daenerys ever claim she was anything but Targaryen so whatever I'm sure Daenerys had Stark in there at some point too <laughs> anyways back over to Yennefer so then at Yennefer and, and Kair I really like how they found this creative way for them to escape out of the city it's very easy for they could have really just uh, you can even say it's almost like a little bit of filler, right? Because uh, they could have easily just left it off. They escaped out of the city on horseback when she knocked over the, the what do you call them? The pyre rods, not the funeral pyres. Yeah, no, that just, yeah, the pyres of like the woods that are burning. It wasn't a funeral pyre; it was just pyres of wood like that just were burning. Yeah. Pyres. Yep. Yeah, perfect. Um, but at the same time, even though they made it creative, so we got to see even like a new monster and everything. It was even to the point 
of then we finally get Yaxir being reintroduced back into the story and they use that as kind of like another full circle nostalgia but it's going to open up another complex plot twist um so i i think it was one of those episodes where it wasn't as much action but it was a lot of interesting detail even to the point of um how do you pronounce his name jick steer the guy with the king with the owl the weird guy that drinks all the time oh deekstra deekstra yeah deekstra uh even bringing that in with like the owl and and now you're kind of seeing the you know their side of things with the king and what their plans are uh it had a lot of very interesting plot development twists and turns that even answer questions but also open up more uh more complex uh journeys for the future so uh, once again i thought it was a great episode i thought the writing was really well done um and at the same time you know they still found a way for it to be creative so it wasn't boring at the same time which is uh i think that's a, a big mark to hit on its own that's um, not appreciated enough in a lot of episodes that are out there because uh, that's that's very hard to do to get complex plots like this across but in a very interesting and entertaining way what about you i yeah i thought it was a good episode as well and like you said there wasn't a ton of action in it but it was great because they pulled a lot of full circles from a lot of different places like we got yaskier appearing for the first time since season one and kind of doing the same old thing he does like being his aloof fun goofy self uh singing new songs and this new song is specifically about you know how Geralt treated him and like like tossed him to the side like he wasn't important <laughs> and like he's he's hurt from that and he made a whole song about it as well um so I thought that was great to bring him back in the other full circle we were talking about with the the flowers where they can only they grow where elder blood was spilled and now we learn that witchers have a chance at being created again or that we can make more of them or at least it's a potential because that was a key ingredient in the witcher mutagen was the the elder blood there so you know it's things that you like are setting up for bigger and better things later on uh you know over in the gores valen and it was really crazy because you know it almost kind of reminded me of um like i said like, like the whole nazi germany back in the day where you know like some really great people put their own selves at risk to help the jews at the times like you know like the whole anne frank situation hiding her up in like the in the attic and you know like the, the, the askier is doing his best to like smuggle them out of the city you know through the through the ship and it, it, like i said it, it does a great job of tying in world history to things that you can relate it to so it helps like give an understanding of how poorly you know they're treating what they consider second class citizens and then on top of that, Cirilla is is learning, like you said, not just you know sword like sword skills or survival skills. Now she's going to be learning some sort of magic or how to control whatever kind of power she has from a mage and Triss, who you know I think it's going to be good for both of them. Uh, you know, Triss having some new sense of purpose now, training somebody else. Cirilla learning to control those powers so that way it doesn't consume her and you know those things here. On top of that, we learn a little bit about like how the creatures are drawn to her specifically. They come from these monoliths, so it's a lot of ton of great information. And you're gonna start seeing how, like Chase was saying, very similar to Game of Thrones, where all of a sudden they they, they start connecting the the uh, not the timelines, but like the points of views and the characters are gonna start connecting with each other. Because now, what happened? Uh, Triss portaled uh, uh, Geralt to Sintra, or at least to where Eastrid was. Uh, which I, I assume is close to Sintra there, and he like he's gonna 
be someone that he's he's never had a conversation with him before. But Istrid just left uh, Eretuza, and he knows that Yennefer is alive, and he knows what like the Brotherhood's going to be doing. So now, like you know, if, if him and Geralt get along, he can kind of bring Geralt into the fold of like what's happening, give him the rundown of everything. So everyone's starting to coincide and connect. It's like the dots are starting to intersect, and this was a great like crossroads episode of you know moving to like the the next step on where do we go from here because you know it's no longer just training it's no longer just gearing up and getting ready now things are kind of being put into motion and you know so now Yennefer is on the run she's being smuggled back to Sintra well she was supposed to be and then Yasker got kidnapped and so we don't know what's going to happen there if they're going to risk themselves to to go save him or or whatnot you know we start learning about you know the she's trying to figure out how to go through life now without any sort of magic because if she had her magic none of this would be an issue she would just blast all these fuckers away and it wouldn't be a problem but she can't <laughs> so it's like it, it's adding new conflict it, it, it's it's beautiful like it, this this shows that you don't need the high level action or flashy on-screen like views for it to be a great episode or get someone to pay attention to it because it, I mean, it has that when it comes to it but on top of it it's just a great plot line a great storyline that you love to follow and it's it's inching its way closer to like the, the climax of this season. You know things are finally starting to and, like you know it's perfect timing for them too because it's episode four. We're exactly halfway through to the the end of season two. There's only eight episodes in season two of The Witcher, so right now is when certain like like paths are being crossed by different people who've never met each other before, but they're all connected somehow. And so yeah, man, I'm really impressed with the episode. I'm impressed with like. You know, the, the, it's like everyone's playing chess. Like Dijkstra, like you said, is trying to figure out how they can take control of Sintra. You know, the like Nilfgaard is figuring out how they can maneuver and kind of bounce back from their loss at Sod. And the elves are there with them. You know, you got people trying to help out the elves that are, that are being like taken captive by the North and trying to be put in prison and internment camps. And uh, you got Geralt getting back into the action, going to Sintra. You know, we got, it's just, there's just so much going on. It was a perfect crossroads point. And yeah, that's my overall takeaways of the episode is that I think you do not need a ton of action, a ton of fight scenes and just wow factor on screen to have a fantastic show and stuff like this. It shows you exactly like it keeps you super interested. And honestly, it keeps me more interested because, you know, I can right. watch it like a, like a battle scene and think it looks cool. But I much would rather like have to think about the storyline, wonder where it's going, how to how it could branch off into a bunch of different things, and we have no clue about where it's going, and uh, it keeps you guessing, like you said at the end of the episode. So, no, I'm a big fan of this episode. I think it was a great halfway point uh, for the season. That's my my takeaway on it. And so, I guess uh, before we get into our debates, how about you tell us about that crazy sewer monster? Yeah, I got a quick question real quick that I thought of, though, because you mentioned a good point mentioning flowers. And you know how you talked about, uh, you know, they discovered the flower and Siri could be the key when she was. I wonder if this was almost like a Easter egg or like a hint for foreshadowing that we didn't quite pick up on in the episode or it was very, really easy to miss because now you have me thinking. When she walked out, I remember Lambert and Cohen were making fun of her, and she had that flower in her hair. Do you think that was foreshadowing for possibly she could be the key? I don't know. I mean, that would be thinking really deep into it. If that was their intention, that's very slick of them to do. But number one, I don't think the flower is the same color. And number two, what I really think that they were trying to portray in that scene is that, like, no matter how much she's training and like like attempting to be as close to a witcher as she can be without actually being a witcher, that 
she's also still a woman and she's also a girl and that she's mm-hmm. trying to do her best to like you know find the balance of who she is and it you know it makes these other guys laugh and you know they're kind of being rude about it because they're not number one they're not used to a girl being there uh but number yeah. two like this is a princess and so they they, they think it they, that she's you know that she like, almost too good for them to, like you shouldn't be slumming it over here less you need to be in your princess castle like you can't handle yeah. this stuff like you know just really kind of like goading her into making her feel like she doesn't belong there and so you know that's why i think it hurt her so bad and like she ran out of there like with tears in her eyes and took the flower out of her hair because she's trying to find a balance like and i think it, like, that scene was trying to show us that like she's trying to find a balance of who she is you know being a, a woman you know, also being a princess and also being someone who like is looking to train to become a warrior too. So I, I don't, I think thinking, I think that might be thinking into it too much with like the foreshadow of the flower there. I'm not saying it's impossible. Uh, I just don't think that's what they were trying to portray in that scene, but I could be wrong. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I agree with you hundred percent. I think it's thinking too much into it. Just think of how, if that is what they were trying to portray, think of how foreshadowing that is. Like what if it was the same color and, what if Lambert and Cohen were mocking her? Secretly, she's the key, and it was really saying how they're talking down to her, and she's really better than they are. <laughs> like, how interesting would that be? So, just a very intellectual, interesting thought. But, okay, now that we did interesting facts with Jay Nelly last week, interesting facts with Chase. Here we are. Very interesting creature, too, because I gotta say. Um, luckily I have the monsters handbook that y'all have seen it on the promo because I had to actually look it up on Google and there were people discussing what this was because it was never mentioned the name in the episode and then someone had to refer to the actual book uh, where it was mentioned for where this goes on and I wasn't even sure so luckily I have blood elves so I referenced it there but then I went into the monsters handbook of monsters that's created for the books and there it was so that octopus-looking kraken thing that comes out of the sewer that attacks Yennefer. And uh, what was his name? Demir, the elf boy? Elf guy? The deaf one? Deaf one. Uh, Dermain. 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 I don't know why I'm mixing up his name now. But when it grabbed uh, Yennefer and Dermain under, so it's actually called a Zooglis. So almost like Zeus, but it's z-e-u-g-l-s a zooglis so these are very interesting um so it's actually unknown how big they can get because they can get so massive it's almost like the size of a a kraken sort of thing except for it says the zooglis lives in filth only in sewers Uh, where waste is dumped and they live off disposed sewers the more sewer sewage that they eat helps uh, continues to grow a zooglis so they don't stop growing and it says a fully grown zooglis could take on a handful of witchers and still hold its own it says it's practically it's um skin so it's it doesn't say exactly what the slimy skin is called but it just says its outer layer of skin can become practically immune to swords regardless if it's a steel sword and how susceptible steel swords are it says a zooglis can also remove its tentacles for attacking abilities and they shower their opponents with tentacles that are covered in poison it says 
that they can grow at an extremely alarming rate. And uh, the way it works is it grows, as it grows tentacles and gets bigger, it also grows multiple rows of teeth that paralyze their victims. It's said that they are so foul smelling that they smell like rotten potatoes and the breed has actually been mutated before by other witchers and they've come up with other breeds of zooglis where actually one is called a parazoogle which in turn is not dangerous but has been used to fight off the dangerous zoogles um, it says zoogles are hermaphrodites as well so there is no male or female but being a hermaphrodite allows it to reproduce easily and a fully grown specimen is a serious threat not only for humans to kill but a handful of witchers to kill so very interesting um basically i wouldn't want to stay in that sewer very long <laughs> uh, so i just thought it was very interesting but uh uh, what do you think about the Zooglis, man? Like, it was a very, um, it wasn't as exciting, but I thought it was a very interesting concept to put that in there to kind of fit, I guess, a, a new monster in for all the complex plots they were trying to pull off. I, uh, I, it's, it was interesting, right? Because I don't know if they're going to revisit another one down the line. I kind of hope they do because mm -hmm. we didn't really get much from it, right? We got to see it kind of breach the water a little bit, but, like, we didn't really get mm -hmm. to see what it really looks like. We just got to see like, tentacles wrapping up and grabbing something, and, and that was pretty much it. So I'm glad that they, they, they you know, introduced a new monster. But the, the, the description you just gave from that book of monsters on the Zooglis there... Uh, it sounds a lot more badass than what we saw on screen. Like, like that thing yeah. sounds very dangerous where we really only got to see, Oh, here's somebody that it grabbed and got away with. And that was pretty much it. So I don't hate the introduction of it, but I hope that we get to see it again more fully later on, you know, as the seasons go on for the show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, man. Uh, you, um, want to go ahead and start the debates. Do you want to kick us off on those? Yeah, I sure will, man. And I will only preface this, and I'll say this, uh, you know, I have not watched ahead to the end of Witcher Season 2, so if this debate ruins anything, feel free to just say that, you know, you, that you can't discuss it or what your thoughts are on it. But my, my question is, like, what is this relationship with Dijkstra and his owl? What do you think is going on with this darn thing? Like... Do you think it's a person on the other side that's communicating with it? Do you think it is just an animal that has a special connection with? Do you think it's like a, a magical creature? Like, what what really do you think is what this owl is, and how it relates in its relationship with Dijkstra? Yeah, actually, believe it or not, this isn't really answered very clearly. So I can actually speak on this. Cool. Um, honestly, like I don't know. Like I mean, they go into it a little bit, but we'll go into that later. But I don't know. I don't know if it was... It makes you wonder if the owl has magical ability. I wonder if it's someone... This sounds very strange to say. I wonder if it's someone that's cursed that has been put in that owl form. Almost going back into season one, how we... Or even... Wow. I mean, you could even mention Nibelum. Nibelin. <laughs> that was cursed, right? I think that is someone that was a major a sorceress 
that he's communicating with that has been alive. And this isn't me revealing anything. This is actually just my thoughts based on what I've seen. I think this is someone that is a very powerful mage that has been around for a long time that's trapped in the owl form is what I think. What about you? That's awesome. I didn't even think about that. Uh, my thoughts like were kind of in one of two directions. Like To me, that owl may be a conduit between two people. Like If I'm going to relate this to make sense, kind of similar to Lord of the Rings, you know how Sauron and Sauron had like the ball and it allowed them to communicate through that like like uh, orb thing that you didn't want that yeah. that Pippin ended up touching and like he saw the the all-seeing eye in it, but like it allowed mm-hmm. Sauron and Sauron to communicate. Like I think that owl could potentially be something like that. Like it's like a conduit between Dijkstra and maybe another you know character that we haven't met yet. Maybe another dangerous person that is going to be introduced later on and and like that owl is just kind of almost like the middleman of allowing them to speak at far distances together um i think that's a possibility i also think it's a possibility that this owl is its own magical creature and um you know uh, maybe it has certain properties and maybe they've got like a telecommunication type of like telekinesis thing where they can speak into each other's minds and, and things of that um, it's possible. I didn't even think about that. It could be like a person that was cursed, and but that's that's come up a few times uh, throughout The Witcher. It came up with um, the the first season, the person who wanted to marry Cirilla's mom. That was really like they came up there when he was cursed as a hedgehog. Uh, it came up in season two with Nivellin, like you said. So that that's been a reoccurring theme. So it very well. I wouldn't surprise me honestly, and I'll be a one hundred percent honest. I did not think of it myself that, that's 100 percent chase uh, right there but yeah I, I, if i'm gonna guess what i thought of that was off the top of my head in my thought process i think it's either a conduit of you know being able to speak to through somebody else at a, at a large distance and maybe it's a more dangerous character coming later on or i think it's like a like a bird that's got like magical qualities um and they, they have like a special connection dijkstra and this owl do and they can kind of understand each other and um you know, kind of have conversations and you know, maybe debate things, and I don't know, uh, because you could see like there's something different with the owl. Obviously, it's not just a regular owl that he's talking to, trying to go over things in his own head. Like they communicate somehow. Something communicates with that owl and him, and I, I don't know. I think it could be one of those two things. But now that you mentioned it, very well could be someone that was cursed too. So, um, yeah, those are my thoughts on that one. My second debate, and this is just me curious i don't really know if this is even a debate it's more like what do you think about it um no one has mentioned to Geralt, or at least like the only person that would have an opportunity to do so up until this point would be triss that like yennefer is still alive right like why has no one told him why has triss not mentioned that Yennefer still because that's big news. Everyone thought that Yennefer was dead. Yeah. And, and Triss knows that she's not because they had that little moment in the swimming pool thing that she didn't want to get into and they all hugged each other. So, like, why hasn't Triss said, hey, man, like, the, the, like you know, like, especially when he was talking about the Battle of Sodden and how Cirilla saw him on the aftermath of Battle of Sodden, like, that had been a very easy transition for Triss to be like, you know, speaking of Sodden, I don't know if you know this or not. But, you know, Yennefer was missing for X amount or whatever, but she came back to Eretuza and she's alive. Because I think that could 
potentially dictate his next course of actions too maybe he goes to protect right. her like maybe you know i don't know obviously i don't think he would leave sorella hanging like that but like i'm just saying like it's an important like he's she's obviously an important character to him and do you think that i guess my question is do we think that it's purposely being kept from him or is it just like she overlooked it and maybe didn't think about it like why why is it four episodes in Geralt still doesn't know yennefer is alive that's a really good question. I mean, I think it's more of like she just doesn't really look too much into their relationship. I mean, I'm assuming she knows that Geralt knows Yennefer, but I don't think she knows that they were that close. I mean, I guess the last time... I don't even know if she saw Geralt at the Battle of Sodden. Remember, he just grabbed Ciri and basically took off. It's not like he was really right there. Um, and I, I don't think she really knows about their history with the Striga and all that stuff. So I think it's just kind of, I think she probably knows Geralt knows about Yennefer, but not enough on a personal level is my opinion about it. What about you? I, I, know, I know for sure that Triss knows they know each other because uh, if you remember when they were gearing up to get ready for the Battle of Sodden, Triss had mentioned that there was a witcher that helped her with the Striga in, in Tamaria, and it was, his name was Geralt Rivia, and, and Yennefer is like, oh, well, you know, never a good sign for anyone. So, like, she knew that they, <laughs> they knew each other uh, through there. So, I don't know. I, th- I also th- I, I think that maybe in Triss's mind, it's just not an important enough thing to discuss, but in my mind, if, like, well, after a big battle like that, the first attack of, like, for the southern armies against the northern armies, um, the hero that say the quote unquote hero, the one that saved and pushed back the the invaders, it's probably important to know that they're still around. <laughs> like I think right. I think I think it's definitely something that would be over like barroom chats. Like like you don't think that in their spare time, you know, maybe not on set or on screen, but like you know, just as, as characters themselves. And maybe I'm thinking too much into it. Like he's, like Geralt wouldn't be like, oh, like what happened at Sodden? Like I wasn't there. Like tell me what happened. And then you know that would come up like, oh, Yennefer ended up burning the entire place down and you know, I was I was injured and they brought me back and you know that we thought Jennifer was missing and she came back like you know I just feel like it could have come up at any point in time I, I think this is one of the times where it probably lacks like I know that he's going to end up finding out that she's back by the end of the season in my opinion it might actually even happen next episode when he like meets uh Eastrid here and they actually have their conversation I'm assuming at that point maybe it'll come up but I just was curious like you know and I and I and I don't think Triss is the kind of person who's who would be like purposely keeping information just because she's jealous and like wants Geralt for herself and knows that he has a thing for her. I don't think it's that she doesn't strike me as that kind of individual. She strikes me as a good wholehearted human. Um, but I don't know. I just, I find it interesting that like the show and the, the, the writing in here just wants me to believe that the subject wouldn't even have been brought up. I just think there's too much that went on there and too much of like, how Triss herself survived, and the reason she survived was thanks to Yennefer, and they, 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 they don't think that would come up that she was missing for a month, and that she just finally came back. I just, I just feel like that would, and even in casual conversation or whatever it would be, um, I don't know. I would have, I would have assumed that it would have came up. That, that's just my thoughts. Yeah, that's a good point. I do want to comment on that real quick because maybe it's like, remember how he mentioned like they were all getting in the pool. <laughs> I called it the pool. I don't know if it was like a hot tub or whatever it was. But remember, Triss didn't really go in because she was feeling, I don't want to say she was holding a grudge, 
against Yennefer, but she was still really, I guess, upset about the whole situation at the Battle of Sodden. So it makes me wonder if she's tried just to put that out of her mind for now. So maybe like she's just trying, like she's not thinking about that at the moment because she probably accepted Geralt's invitation to go to Caramore Inn because she didn't want to even think about that side. So, I mean, that could always be a situation there. What do you think? Possible. I think that that's a good, a good conclusion to draw is that she just needs time to distance herself from what she went through in Sodden and heal from it. It's definitely a possibility. Um, that being said, man, how about we jump into your debates? Yeah, man. Uh, so, first one, since we're on the Triss rule... Uh, do you see Triss playing a major role in Ciri's life and development with her potential powers? Do you see this going on? Do you think the show is going to take a turn, whether it's like this season, next season, whenever, that Ciri winds up getting trained more and more from Triss and she kind of becomes more of, like, girl will always be that father figure role, but maybe she's like more of that mother role to Ciri. What do you think? I definitely think that Triss is going to play a major role in her training, especially because like my evidence to support that is when Geralt and Cyril are talking about it, and and Cyril's like, "You brought her to be here, kind of just just like Mausak with my mother and grandmother," and so you saw how close that they were, and how close she was with Mausak uh, in season one, and how he did everything to protect her and and all that he could. Um, so I definitely believe that she's going to play a major role, especially if that's Geralt's intention was to kind of bring her someone that could number one help her teach her to control magic i think that's going to be a wildly important skill that she's going to need to learn and on top of that it's already kind of been foreshadowed that she's going to be like a very trusted part of her training in the next period of her life so yeah i think for sure now do i think it's going to be more like a a motherly figure type of deal i don't know about that um that i don't i don't think she'll ever look to, to anyone the way that she looks like up to Geralt in a in a parental um viewpoint or aspect i could say um so i definitely like, like the answer question i think she's going to play a major role in her training going forward and and, and it's she's going to be instrumental to Cyrilla's success or failure whatever happens uh i just don't know if it's going to be like a like a motherly thing or maybe like an older sister type thing i'm i'm, th- I'm thinking more of yeah. like that kind of relationship in my head so that's what i think man what about you yeah, and a follow-up question to that, too, is do you think it will ever branch off to the point of Geralt won't be there at some points and it'll be just Siri and Triss? And then I'll answer my side, but just a question on that. Yeah, I think so. I think it's honestly geared up to happen pretty soon. If it's not this season, I, I think it's going to be next season. I, I think there's going to be a good chunk of time where Geralt is not with Cirilla for whatever reason, like, you know, uh, whether either... He's called elsewhere, and she's got to go, or maybe they are chasing Thrill, and he needs, and he wants to draw their attention, thinking that she'll be sticking with him, and he's got to go somewhere else. Like whatever it may be, I definitely think that they will, their paths will separate for a good period of time. Uh, I just don't know, um, you know, if Triss is going to be like the 
the one person that's there with her the whole time or if Sarah's just going to be on her own for a minute I think I think all things are going to come to pass I think maybe initially it'll be like with, like she'll be with Triss and then she's going to learn more and more how to control herself and then something's going to happen and Triss is going to get captured and she's going to be on her own eventually Sarah's going to get captured and then she's going to have to find a way to escape or Geralt will come back in and save her like that's what I think like um yeah you know eventually like they will definitely break off from each other talking about Geralt and Cirilla and they'll come back together later on down the road in my opinion but that's what I think yeah I have to agree I think I I think you're right like I don't one I don't think anyone I don't think Ciri's gonna look at anyone like she looks at the way Geralt did I mean think of what he did to really set the path with them too like he rescued her not to mention the whole back history with him and her grandmother like that's i mean that's history you can't take away he's all he was basically like a family close family friend the whole time anyways biologically just from their whole family history there so i don't think anyone will ever be looked at like that but to answer the question of training i think this is when we're going to start to see which uh you know i i really don't know this but like i i think this is going to be starting to see whether it's season two or down the road whenever or season three we're on season two now season three down the road or whenever that this is really gonna when you're gonna start to see series magic powers be developed and you start seeing a spark there like honestly like one of my favorite books in the aragon series is eldest almost like how if anyone's read aragon he you know really developed his powers with the elves there like i don't think she'll develop her powers with elves but like the mages i think this is when whether they even go to a part where there's more mages wherever she takes her i think that's where i see this going um so it i think you're right i think there's going to be a point where siri's going to have to stand for herself but it almost makes you wonder like is this gonna i hope they don't bring this to like a point where it's like the ray palpatine shit where she can do so much crazy shit she's like jumping over like buildings like how she was jumping over x-wings and shit like i hope it's not like that i hope she doesn't go to like you know show up at the nilf guard like battle of sodden and just like light them all on fire and it's like fuck yeah it was a good battle and then just like goes across the world like i hope they keep this to the point of you know this is a journey and this is going to take a long time so that's kind of my thoughts on that um I, to, to that point real quick before you get into your second debate, I do yeah. think that there is a quote in, in this episode that supports the fact that it's going to be a long journey because Srilla asks how long it took uh, Triss to develop her powers and control her powers, and Triss said, uh, a long time, just like it will take you a long time. So hopefully yeah. they stick with that there, there. But that's all I just want to mention. So yeah, go, go into your next one. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I like that. Um, the next one is so very interesting because we saw the flower on the ground right with Vesemir and he said how Ciri's ass has been kicked everywhere and he saw like her blood on the ground uh two-part debate for this question now that we know Ciri is possibly the key one do you think anyone else has gotten Ciri's blood or their blood like Ciri works from Ciri's line or do you think any other witchers have already been developed because they've learned about this key with uh series blood heritage that we don't know about mm. <laughs> this is uh an interesting question 
I'll tell you why I, it's more interesting because in my head it's probably more complicated than it truly is. But the thing is, we really don't know what happened to Dooney and her mother. And Dooney is like the the hedgehog man that took like that ended up marrying right. her mother. So we know that they died at sea, right? That's what that's what the story is. Right. They like, they died at sea and they never came back. But like, what if they're being held hostage somewhere and their blood's being used, like, or at least her, her mom's blood is being used because like she had some crazy supernatural powers that weren't controlled, and we saw that in the throne room. So, um, I think it's possible that her like her mother could be kept somewhere alive for uses to her blood, but I don't know if it necessarily is to create new witchers or not. But elder blood seems like it has a lot of properties that are would be like important use to other things. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know in, in terms of uh, how that's going to affect witchers specifically, except for now they can make more of them. But do I think like someone else is making witchers? Not really. Um, and maybe that's exactly why. And that could. Yeah, and maybe it's not the only reason, but that could be part of the reason why. Nilfgaard was so intent on capturing and uh, keeping Cirilla captive at the first battle of Sintra in season one. Maybe they wanted her blood for different uses of elder blood because they realized that, you know, when they were all in that throne room, because Nilfgaard was there, because remember she insulted Nilfgaard, and they were all there in that room when her mother did that weird screechy thing, and they all realized, oh, she's got some sort of power here. And that's very possible that they're trying to capture Cirilla, you know, to see the properties if she has the same type of you know mutant gene that causes her to have those supernatural abilities i i think that could be a possibility i think the possibility of her mother being alive being kept somewhere as possible i just don't know i just don't think like someone else is out there creating witchers to to fight the witchers i don't i don't see that i guess it is possible it's just not something that really crosses my mind right now yeah well, what I really meant was not even necessarily to fight the witchers, but maybe there's like other witcher clans that we don't know about that were being developed. Do you think that could be a possibility? I guess it could be, but where would all these other witchers be? And you would think that they would be out and about fighting monsters or whatever these other witchers are being used for. You would think someone would have noticed them because all these witchers, it's like the ones that invest in your training, anyways, they all have that medallion, so they kind of signify themselves as witchers. So if there's other clans of witchers, I feel like they would have been spotted or at least someone would have heard about them um, by now for sure. Especially, you know, they they all go out to all different parts of the continent to, to take on contracts to, to kill monsters. You would think that along their journeys, they would have heard about these other witchers somewhere along the way. Uh, so I don't know. I don't, I don't really know if there's, in my head, if there's going to be different factions of witchers i guess anything's possible it just wouldn't if they introduced that without explaining it it wouldn't make sense to me right yeah i have to agree Uh, my side of the take is i doubt it yeah i think it's just more of a big point of they finally developed or they think they have the way to develop more witchers so it's going to be interesting if they ever decide to capitalize on that my personal opinion is I don't think Geralt would ever let them get to the point of letting them harness Ciri's blood. What do you think on that? I don't... I do. <laughs> I, like, you think I, he'd let them do it? Yeah, for sure. Um, I I think he wants to protect Sorla herself, but like, if her blood 
helps out with creating more riches. He was already kind of concerned about how they're dying out as it is, and there was only 18 of them left, you know, at the at, at best, right? There was the one that got killed by the Striga in Season 1, and then there was Esquil who got killed by the Leshy, and he said there was 20 of them last he counted. So we're looking at 18 Witchers in total. So if there was a chance to make more and help out, I think... I think he has to be talked into it, maybe, but I don't think he would be like avidly like fight against it, like because obviously I I think Geralt views Vesemir as a father figure, and mm-hmm. it seems like Vesemir is pretty on board with it. He's the one that got all excited about the key to making more Witchers. So I feel like if Vesemir explains to Geralt the the benefits of using her blood, I think I don't I don't know I can't see him really fighting against it to a heavy extent yeah i mean my only i guess opposing side to that would be i think he sees siri as he's too much of a father figure to siri and he's seen the magical ability she has so if a witcher is developed with that kind of power who's to say like that witcher could control like what it's been given like who's to say that's a normal witcher like who knows like that witcher could be elite like who's to say they could control that that's the hard part but the the flip side is that is like that's how witchers were created in the first place they've always had people's magical blood so like like that's how they were that's how he was created anyway right it's not any different you know they use someone else's elder blood that also had like those properties in it you know what i mean yeah I can see it. I mean, I agree with what you're saying. Just it's, uh, he would definitely have to be talked into it because I couldn't see him just being like, okay, strap her down and <laughs> extract this shit. You see what I'm saying? For sure. Yeah, but I, no, I, yeah, that's uh, that's all my debates, man. It's uh, I thought it was a good episode overall, though. Yeah, I, I did too, and that's what I'm saying too. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily think he's like, yeah, let's get this thing started and like, you know, holds her there, but like. I think if, I think if Vesemir laid out like a plan, like we're gonna draw like X amount, we won't take any more than this, and only create this amount of Witchers. Like had a had a good set plan that made logical sense. I don't think he would be opposed to giving her like two vials of her blood or whatever it may be. You know what I mean? And drain, you know, like I I don't think it, I, I I again maybe I'm just overestimating their relationship. Talking about Vesemir's and Geralt's and thinking that he can talk Geralt into pretty much anything. But I just I don't see the harm. I really don't see the harm, right? It's not like he's asking to hurt her and like cut herself from getting hurt. Hey, just like you know, let's just drain a little bit of blood from the arm there. It's good for you, anyways. You know, it's like you know, but I we only take X amount over this many years and create this many witchers. And I think if he laid it out like that, I don't think he would have the worst problem with it in the world. But who knows? Maybe he would. I can see it. I mean, it could happen. Yeah, I mean. I get it. I think it would probably get to the point of, like, Siri would have to say, like, I want to do this. Like, I don't think he'd, like, volunteer her as tribute, like, Hunger Games. <laughs> get your ass over there, Siri. You got some got some volunteering to do. <laughs> but, yeah, I know, man. I think it's been a good episode. You want to uh, close us out for today? Yeah, I sure do, guys. Uh, I know Chase mentioned this last week, but it's still uh, a great Uh, accomplishment that we love to talk about because it doesn't happen without the listeners to the show but we have over 1,000 written reviews on Apple Podcasts we have uh, Spotify just very recently began allowing uh, star ratings and we've got 55 star 50 
five-star ratings. Six today. 56. 56 so we got 56 yeah. five-star ratings on Spotify, and that just allowed, just started to allow um, by reviews being taken there. So these are these are great things that doesn't don't happen without the people who listen to the show. So we're very happy that uh, that you guys are enjoying the content that we're putting out. And speaking of that, you know, we're not just here doing the podcast you know we also have are active on all social sites so if this is your first time joining us feel free to not only leave a comment uh, a review click like or subscribe but also follow us on our social sites on instagram we're at official ridiculous patronus uh on tiktok we're at ridiculous patronus we also have secondary instagram and tiktoks that are more like specific and targeted and that would be uh, on instagram at fact underscore or underscore fantasy uh, TikTok would be at fact underscore or underscore fantasy. We have our Facebook fan page. It's Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. We've got the website, which is ridiculouspatronus.blogspot.com. Uh, we also have our Twitter at RP Factor Fantasy, uh, Snapchat RP Factor Fantasy, any social media site. We're on there. Uh, we're active too. So really excited about that. We're on YouTube as well. We've got uh, good things cooking there. We've got some, uh, a lot of views on short videos and we're going to continue building our audience there as well. So um, in terms of where you can find us, you can find us anywhere you get your podcasts. So if you guys are big Apple users, we are on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. You guys are Android folks. We're on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Audible, Amazon Music, Podbean, Stitcher, Acast. Like I said, guys, wherever you get your podcasts, Chase and Josh, Factor Fantasy are there. But we're out for the night because you know this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh, Factor Fantasy, signing, signing off. off.